right now what I'm going to do is to get into our subject matter over the night and uh, teaching and learning together what does the Lord Jesus want us to know about end times that I have subtitled Preparing the Saints for the Last Days uh, because that's um, really where it's at. I've taken the first couple of uh, nights that I've been able to do this with you all to really kind of build in your hearts um, a fire, a recognition that the Lord is coming back and that we are in the last days. It's easy to be sleepy, sleepy people uh, and to grow complacent with the uh, everyday march, right? Everyday march of being a Christian and then you wonder, is Jesus ever coming back? Or you think, well, he's not going to come back in my lifetime. Um, well, yeah, I, I suppose we can hope that, but we don't know, do we? So the, the deal is, is that we have to be ready, period. I know that Jesus spoke to his disciples when they asked him, you know, when will this thing, what will this look like and when will this happen? And he made a statement and said that, that all of this will take place before your generation is over, right? Well, that's been kind of a confusing statement for a lot of folks because that generation that he was speaking to is long over, as have been many other generations after that. So some people have said, well, what, what's being missed here? I think what's being missed here is maybe the intent of what Jesus had in mind when he said that, was that every generation should live their life for Christ as though they were the generation that was going to see the coming of Jesus. Because if we don't live that, if every generation doesn't live life like that's the generation that's going to see Jesus, then we'll become complacent, we'll get sleepy, we'll get bored, and the next thing, let me help you, let me help you with what happens generationally. If this generation is a sleepy, bored, complacent Christianity, the next generation will be even multiplied more so in boredom, complacency, and sleepiness. So maybe we can do something right now to wake up this generation. And I know we have multi-generations in the room, so you apply that to yourself, whether, whether you're a generation X or baby boomers or, or millennials or whatever it may be. You look at your generation and you should live your entire life with this mindset, he's coming in my generation. And you should live your entire life in such a way to be ready for his coming. Those of you that are millennials and either you haven't had kids yet or you're just starting down that journey, you need to pass that on to your kids because guess what? What if it's in their generation? And, or what if it's, in my case, for example, I'm looking at my grandkids. What if it's in their generation? What have I done to build in my daughter's life this sense of urgency that he's coming back in my generation that they're now passing on to their kids? You follow me? So I think that's really what the Lord was trying to say to us when he said, this, your generation won't pass away before all this things, these things happen. Right? So there's something deeper than just the words themselves there. And so I've just taken the beginning of this whole thing to just try to fire that aspect of this up, to build a fire underneath us to say, he's coming. And of course, we can look at all the stuff that's happening, 
<laughs> Hello, you don't need me talking about the Lord coming back. You could just watch the news and go, it must be he's coming back soon. All right? Um, and, um, and there's much that we could get into in conversations about all of the events that are taking place right now, but that really isn't the important thing. The important thing is that we are living our lives as believers in such a way that we will not be sleeping when the trumpet sounds. That's the key. That's the deal. And so uh, tonight we're going to start in the book of Revelation. I, so if you, have, you should have your Bibles with you since this is midweek Bible study or devices, whatever. It's okay, whether it's plastic bound or leather bound. Uh, turn your Bible to the book of Revelation. <clears throat> Did I say that already? Good. And we're going to get started. Now, I'm not going <clears> to... My goal is not to go line upon line in the book of Revelation. That's not what we're going to do. I'm not going to take... This is not a study of Revelation. Not once have I said this is understanding what the Lord wants us to know about the book of Revelation. It's understanding what the Lord wants us to know about end times. Now, of course, Revelation is one of the premier books in the Bible as it relates to end times. So we'll be using um, Revelation as a, as a strong launching pad. Uh, but there's no way under the sun that I could teach everything that's in Revelation. Number one, we don't have enough time for that. Number two, there are many things in the book of Revelation that won't even be understood until they're actually happening. So it would be impossible to do a line-upon-line study of the book of Revelation. I mean, you, that can be attempted, and it is exciting to do so, but let's stay focused. Our focus isn't to, let's unwrap the book of Revelation. Our, our, our focus to, is unwrap what Jesus wants us to know about the last days, about the end times, okay? So we'll keep our focus there. However, I think it's pretty interesting if you look in verse 1 uh, of the book of Revelation chapter 1 to recognize that Revelation is a book that says the revelation of Jesus Christ. So if you really want to understand what the book of Revelation is all about, it really isn't about the last days. It's about revealing Jesus Christ. Now, I find that interesting because Genesis chapter 1 did the same thing. I think it's pretty cool that the first book of the Bible uh, says, for example, it says, what was it? Uh, I think it's verse, let me look real quick so I get it exactly right. It might be verse 2 or 3. Yeah, you don't have to turn there. This is extra little deal. Oh, verse, yeah, verse 3, then God said, let there be light. Now, this was a few days before he created the sun, and the moon, and the stars. Are you listening? Yeah. But yet he says, let, you know, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Then God said, let there be light. Now many of us have looked at that like that's sunlight, or moonlight, or starlight, but that happened a few days later in the creative process. Now I think it's very cool if you get into some of the Judaic Hebrew 
and the little jots and tittles, the little curlicues that are a part of certain letters in the Hebrew that sometimes denote whether a word is masculine or whether a word is feminine or whether a word has a certain mood even. Think about that. A word has mood. Uh, but there's, uh, there is a Judaic belief that part of that says not let there be light, but in the Judaic sense, they say, let him be the light. Because there is a little jot that refers to a masculine property of the word. Now, isn't that powerful? If you think, and who was the light of the world? Hello? See, we all know that, don't we? And so what, this is what I'm saying. Right there in the very beginning, he, he, God is basically saying, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then right there in the very ending, ending in Revelation where we're starting, it says what? It says the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's powerful. I love how the Word of God is just so, there's such harmony between the Old Covenant and between the New Covenant. Right on? So in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, there's a, uh, a very important text where it says, Blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep or heed those things which are written in it, for the time is near. So there's, there's a special blessing that is upon people who study the book of Revelation. Not just the book, the letter of John, but what Revelation is trying to teach us in the Word of God. So we see it right there. Blessed is that person. And if you go to, uh, you don't need to turn there. I think I have this one on the screen. Go to the very end of Revelation in chapter 22, verse 7. Jesus himself said, behold, I come quickly. Look what he says. Blessed is he who keeps or heeds the words of this prophecy in this book. So you need to recognize first and foremost that because you're on a journey to discover more about the book of Revelation, more about end times, that there's a special blessing for you. Thank you for your enthusiasm about that special blessing. Now, not just for those who read it, but those who take heed to it. That's what it says. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear, or as another translation would say, those that take heed. Let it help direct life. So, First and foremost, let's recognize as we kind of start today that you guys are candidates now, qualifiers, for a special blessing from the Lord. Thank you. One person's got it. That should, that should fire you up a little bit. We're studying things from the book of Revelation. Many of you are reading a book right now or have finished reading a book called, I think it's called Decoding the book of Revelation through the eyes of the Hebrew prophets, which, oh, I love that part. You know, that you're, you're in line for, qualify for special blessings. I'm like, I'm like yeah, sign me up, Jesus. Sign me up. Um, so the reading, the study of the book of Revelation, I believe is essential for every believer. Many believers shy away from the book of Revelation because it's confusing. It can be confusing. It can be scary. And so it's like, I don't, that's the last book I want to read. I'm so glad God put it in the back of the book. 
Because most Christians get tired of reading the Bible cover to cover before they get to Revelation, so. <laughs> but yet there's a special blessing that's involved in this. And I don't think it's something that we should avoid. It's, I'm not, and again, I've started this, introduc- this whole introduction with, there, there's parts of it we're not even going to know or understand until they're actually happening. And then we go, oh, that's what that was talking about. Okay? Um, so let's pray. Let's, let's bow your heads with me for a minute. My OCB is making me do something here. I got to, I got to organize it. I just can't live with them being all over the place like that. Oh, I feel so much better now. That's not my prayer. Okay. <laughs> Lord, open our eyes to what you want us to know. We pray tonight for revelation. We pray for enlightenment. Lord, even as I've already said, give us eyes to see and hearts to understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I don't think that we can even take a look at what Jesus wants us to know about the end times without considering the general atmosphere of the time that we live right now. And the general atmosphere is certainly one where it is an atmosphere of uncertainty. It's an atmosphere of chaos. And quite frankly, we live in potentially more dangerous times than ever before. Now, I'm sure that throughout history, there have been other times that that very same thing can be said. Okay, but we're speaking about our time in history, and uh, things are moving quick. They are... (laughs) Listen, things are moving rapidly. Are you hearing me? The, give, us, give us six months ago when we would have never thought about the government shutting down churches. Hmm? Give us four months ago, three months ago, two months ago, and we would have never thought about governments saying, singing and praying in church is illegal. Things are happening at a breakneck pace. And that's something that's very important, very rapid. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus referred to Daniel. And so Daniel obviously will be a book that we go to as well, because, and Matthew 24 is, well, I got to go there for a minute. It, quite frankly, in my humble opinion, is the most important chapter in the entire Bible to have an understanding about what Jesus wants us to know about end times above any other text, because that's the spot where the disciples say, well, help us understand when is this going to happen and what will things look like? Matthew 24. Well, in Matthew 24, Jesus referred to Daniel, and specifically Daniel 12, verse 4. You don't need to turn there. You can write some of this down if you want, but Daniel 12, verse 4, it says that in these last days, many will run to and fro and knowledge will vastly increase. Now, that's an important thing to think about for a minute because the speed of things today is vastly different than it ever has been even 100 years ago, let alone, okay, 200 years ago. Think about 200 years ago. Uh, Maybe, uh, how long did it take snail mail to get across the country 200 years ago? Huh? Or if you were going to fly, you needed wings. Uh, things of knowledge 
Knowledge is so, I mean, it is available to us at the touch of a finger, knowledge. And so one of the things that Jesus mentioned in Matthew 24 about Daniel, that he said, many will run to and fro. You didn't run to and fro back in the day, okay? You, you didn't even ride your horse more than 50 miles from your home, let alone go, hey, I think we'll go to Paris today. <laughs> yeah. So speed is completely different. So when you consider end times and the days that are ahead of us, any believer worth his or her weight and salt needs to recognize and feel the imminent trouble that is just in front of us. I've never been a pastor who's been a purveyor of doom and gloom. I'd rather have a positive message, although I'll, I'll preach a cutting message, of course, if I need to, right, straight up. Um, but I don't, I don't get up here and, you know, woe is you kind of preaching. My messages aren't meant to make you feel bad. If you feel bad, it's because you're doing something that you ought to feel bad about, not because I'm preaching about it, okay? It's the Holy Spirit that's doing that work. But we need to recognize how things are today and the in, imminent trouble that's just ahead of us. So not being a doom and gloom preacher, uh, I still have a strong sense in my heart and in my spirit that we are only going to see things escalate for worse. I know you wanted to hear a different word tonight. I've said it many times and I still believe Thus, my wife can attest to this, the number of things that I have spoken since this thing has started have come to pass, that where the government took these incremental steps to get us to a certain place, they won't take incremental steps to get us to that place again. They'll only back up a couple of steps and then take us incrementally more steps along the way because as we need to recognize that what's happening right now is an attack against you as a believer. And I believe that. I really do. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist guy. Because I marched this whole thing out, y'all. Y'all know I marched this whole thing out with saying, okay, they've asked us not to meet. We'll, we'll, we'll cancel our services. We did it right away. We went straight to video. We did everything that was asked of us. All right? But, uh, and I don't need any, I'm, this ain't braggadocian. I don't need any applause or attaboys. Way to go, pastor! You do it, bro. No, but I'm not doing it now. Uh, I'm, I think there's going to be a whole lot of churches right now that are going to say, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. We will obey God and not man. Can I get a, can I get a witness? But I, I, amen. That's not braggadocia and it's not, you know, uh, just being bold and arrogant. Now, I think there is braggadocia and bold, arrogant boldness for those who never once even said, well, we'll listen to what Uncle Sam is saying right now because we believed in the beginning that it was simply a stopgap for a disease, right? Now we're bringing, it ain't a stopgap for a disease. So we did the right thing by listening and believing that the, the governments that are in front of us are placed by God. We're instructed to do, we did what God asked us to do. 
right? Now I think God's asking us to do something else. Now, I didn't mean to get off in that diatribe, but I just wanted to say that in terms of us. We need to recognize that imminent trouble is ahead. More trouble is ahead for the church. It hasn't happened in Michigan yet, but in California, they have shut down all the churches, and in fact, they have made it against the law to sing in church, to pray in church, or to chant in church based on your liturgical type of religion. I mean, how can they make that law? Okay? It's because the en- en- enemy is deceived so many people. And uh, Miss Corey and I were kind of joking around today, you know, this stuff's happening out in California, and all of us are like, well, of course, California. Well, what about out here in the cornfield? Huh? Are we going to stick our heads in the, in the field and say, ain't never going to happen out here in the cornfield? I pray it never does happen. I, I think I might have said to Diane the other day or somebody, I'm so glad I live in little old Breckenridge. Amen. You know, not that I'm like, that it's okay it's happening in the bigger cities, but I don't even want to travel to some of the bigger cities. I don't want to be driving down the highway and run into a human barricade. Is anybody else? No, you're stupid if you're looking for that. But we're also stupid if we think it will never come visit us. So now I've kind of taken a few minutes to pour a little bit of gasoline on the fire of us, recognizing there is imminent trouble. We shouldn't walk in fear. There's not any fear in me. And this, for me, has been a, a, a profound part of my walk with God through this from the very beginning. Diane can also attest to this for, for whatever reason. I've just had this absolute peace about every step of this. Not once have I sat back and went, oh Lord, what are we going to do? Call Jim Baker and buy a bunch of those big cans of food. No. But, we're not going to stick our heads in the sand either, amen? No offense to Jim Baker. I better move on, and that came to my mind. So we need to have a sense that something is on the horizon. We're back in church. Everyone applauds when I talk about we're not going to quit church. Everyone applauds when I talk about we're not going to have fear. And a part of us, that's a little bit, that's a little bit heady and prideful. Okay? I don't want us to applaud that. Because we're in boot camp right now. How we navigate this season will determine what happens when imminent trouble comes knocking on our doors. Okay? Do I intend to lead strong? Yes. Is there any part of my strength and or peace that is just a masquerade so as to keep the sheep still? No! I absolutely have peace and I have no fear about what's going to happen, whether it be today or whether it be the literal last day. No trouble right here. So... If we have a sense that times can get worse, that's not an ill-founded 
sense. Uh, we are living in perilous times. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says, Know this, that in the last days there will be perilous times. And the, for the most part, America has been guarded from perilous times while in other countries people are being beheaded daily for their faith in Christ. So we as Americans are spoiled at the possible and potential of real life threatening danger ever visiting us. We think it can't happen. And you don't want to hear me have to tell you that it will happen. I, I agree. I wouldn't have said amen to that either. So know this. Why do you think the apostle started that, his, his statement off with know this? It's almost like, hello, wake up. Perilous times are going to come in the last days. And I don't think there's a single one of us in this room that are so dense to the day that we live that we couldn't say without a shadow of a doubt, although it's not in your backyard, perilous times are in America. And in some cases, down the street. So we're going to look at a few things. Again, I told you I wasn't doing a line upon line on Revelation. I got a study that I've put together, but I kind of want to flow in this. Is that all right? Okay, well, I'll find out next week when there's 10 of you here. So. But what about the economy? I mean, think, think about that. Look at what's happening economically, not just in America, but around the world. So many economies right now are literally on the brink of bankruptcy, ready to completely fold. And it doesn't take much cognitive ability to realize that things are very unstable in, at the least. Can I get an amen about that? Okay. So although the terms uh, one world government and one world economy are not literally in the Bible, you won't find them unless you have some really weird translation, but the idea behind them are, is there. The terms are not specifically in Scripture, okay? But there's a reason why you've always heard in any discussion about end times, one world government, one world money, one world economy. Oh, heavens to Murgatroyd. I don't even know what Murgatroyd is, but that's a good place to say heavens to Murgatroyd. Uh, if we ever saw the potential setup for a one world government and a one world economy, friends, we don't have to be real smart to be able to, to see that potential on the horizon for us. So in that it's not literally written in the Scripture, then where does the idea come from? Well, in Revelation chapter 13, verse 7. Now, anytime you look up there, okay, I'm going to have some of these that you're only going to see the text, or the, excuse me, the reference. When I, when I call out a passage of Scripture and you don't see the text up there with it, that means you're going to need to open your Bible to that spot to get it. And I don't even remember right now which ones are which. Well, I guess I can just look back there at the, the TV. They call it the confidence monitor. Well, look at there. There's Rick Lopez. I'm way more confident now that I can see myself in the back of the building. 
Revelation chapter 13, verse 7. I said I wasn't going to go line upon line, right? We just went from verse 1 to verse chapter 13. Uh, it was granted to him, him being the Antichrist, it was granted to the Antichrist to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given to him over every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. That in and of itself is the philosophy that brings about one world government. Because this says that this single person, this individual, the Antichrist, whatever that may look like, whoever it may be, is going to have supreme rule and authority over every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. Friends, that is a one-world government. Once uh, the Antichrist establishes supreme rule, and I know I'm going over some broad stuff right now, but we'll get into more details as we get in. But once the Antichrist establishes supreme rule, he's going to, he will then seize complete control. And one of the ways that he seizes complete control is through commerce. That's the, his number one way of seizing control of everything is through commerce. We understand the scriptures that talk, well, there is Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 through 17. I don't know what that one is. Is that just the reference? Revelation chapter 13, verse 16. Through 17. Well, whatever. He says you don't have that one. Oh, there it is. No, Revelation 13. Go ahead and turn there, would y'all? Revelation 13, 16 through 17. Says this. He, now again, uh, he in this case is the Antichrist, causes, what's it say? All. Somebody said everyone. Is anyone excluded from the word all? No one is excluded from the word all. It says he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, as if all wasn't enough of a definition about who's included in this thing. Now we're going to get some definition of who all is. Small, great, rich, poor, free, slave. To do what? To receive a mark on their right hand or in their foreheads that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the name of the beast or the number of his name. We know that as the mark of the beast, 666. So clearly this supreme ruler who every tongue, every tribe, every nation is going to acquiesce to one of the ways that he's going to seize control of everything is by seizing control of all commerce. And you literally, no one can buy, no one, no one will be able to buy or sell without the mark, whatever that looks like. Again, there are a number of things. We don't really know how it's going to pan out until it actually starts happening. Some people think, well, it's a chip and... There are chips, that thing's been happening for a long time, chips being put in people. Uh, I mean, the list can go on. Uh, I think it's interesting, and those of you who read the book of Decoding Revelation, uh, Rabbi Schneider talked often about one of the things that the enemy does is simply counterfeit what uh, uh, God did. And if you think about it in the Old Testament, they would wear scriptures in their foreheads, 
or on their hands. Isn't it interesting that the enemy says, well, I'll just counterfeit what God has already done by saying the mark will either be on their foreheads or up on their hands. So uh, you need to understand something, friends. This is going to happen. I'm not saying that it's happening in 2020 or 2021. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to happen while I'm, you know, my next 25 or 30 years or however many more the Lord has for me. I don't, or whether it'll happen in my, my children, my daughter's life, or whether it'll happen in my grandkids' life. But I'm going to live my life right now as though it will happen before I expire. And that's what I'm trying to infuse into all of us. Not to live in fear. This isn't about living in fear. And if I could infuse this peace and this confidence and this hope that I have, may I infuse that in you as well. Not fear, but wisdom, understanding, enlightenment, recognition, awareness. Can I get a healthy amen? So it's going to happen. Just through some of my research, banks currently right now are bracing for multiple bankruptcies and defaults, especially by small business owners who are now beginning to recognize they'll probably never, ever open again. I'm sorry, this makes me want to weep. Diane and I, we spent our time on vacation, and everywhere that we went, there was store after store after store that was boarded up, that was closed. And it saddened us as we went along. And it took, it took the devil four months to get us to that place. Rapidly. Businesses closing down, ordered, people fearful about a mask, people now shooting mace and pepper spray into the faces of other people who aren't wearing the mask. I mean, it's just the chaos and the anarchy that's taking place right now is just, it's basically a setup. It's a setup. We understand that this Antichrist is supposed to be a man who comes in with all the answers to, to the chaos, all the answers to every disease, all the answers to every financial problem, all, all the answers. Well, the only way you can get somebody on the scene to actually be accepted with all the answers is to mess everything else up. almost said the wrong word because I'm a little ticked off about this too. Here's one, you're going to love this. You're not going to believe it, but I can give you the information to actually go verify it. Amazon, (laughs) I love Amazon. I mean, I buy all kinds of stuff from Amazon. I got a box today. (laughs) Amazon is currently rolling out automatic grocery carts that the moment you put the item in the cart... It automatically scans the item and begins to tally up what the register person was doing. And the moment that the item is taken out of the cart and bagged, it is automatically deducted from your bank account. Now, I know you're thinking, okay, Pastor, you've been drinking way too much caffeine. That is neither here nor there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but this, it's on the, this stuff's happening, currently happening. In other words, there's no need to pass cash. No need to even get the card out. 
digital commerce. No need for currency on hand. How about the uh, alleged coin shortage? Have you all loved the alleged coin shortage? Hasn't that been amazing? I loved how it happened. I think I was read. I get I get this uh, daily um, email. It's called End Times Headlines or something like that. But anyway, I get this daily, and one day I read about the national coin shortage, and I'm like, "You got to be kidding me! Come on! I got I got fifty dollars worth of coins in my room. You know, they got no coin shortage." Diane gets a bank statement. That day, right? She opens up the bank statement and a little piece of paper falls out of the envelope, right? And it says, we are having a coin shortage. I was like, let me just say, I don't have $53 worth of coins anymore. I wouldn't cash those puppies in, man. So I don't. I wrote in my notes alleged because then some people in some banks are oh there's no coin shortage, and I'm sure there's probably not. But it's conditioning us to recognize that coins will now be something that will be frowned upon. And then I've literally read that they're going to begin to eliminate the one dollar bill and the five dollar bill, the smaller bills, which starts making a separation between the poor and the wealthy. It's all a setup, y'all. It's all a setup. And I'm not a conspiracy theory guy. You know this, and I haven't suddenly meant, oh, revelation, conspiracy theory, it's all true. No, I'm not that person. No. Here's one. Bank of England is currently implementing, let me shut my phone off, turn it over. Uh, Bank of England is currently planning implementation of digital currency. Bank of England, one of the biggest banks in the world, currently planning the implementation of digital currency. What's that mean? A cashless society to make sure that all commerce is electronic. Folks, we're on the threshold. It's not going to... How long did it take whatever global people are moving the pawn pieces around the chessboard, how long did it take them to get us to where we're at right now? Four months! This, they could do this in a day. And I'm not trying to propagate fear I'm trying to propagate an awareness so that you and I will be ready when the call of Christ says, come home, we're ready and we're ready to go. Amen? And we're not sleeping. We may be giants, but we don't need to be sleeping giants. In fact, we should be turning our world upside down. We are, friends, the original protesters, Protestants. 500 years ago, that was the case. That's where we got our name because they stood up and protested against the institutionalized state religion. And we became known as Protestants. Well, I think it's time for us to be Protestant. That's not braggadocia, y'all. I don't want them to come in this building and disrupt what we're doing. 
But if we, if we stick our hands, heads in the sand and say, oh, they'll never do this over here in this cornfield. I'm not, I'm not looking forward to it. Uh, all you got to do is look at job losses, store closings, bankruptcies. The way it took our president, whether you like him or not, he is anointed by God. I didn't say that he was the anointing of God. All right, there's been secular people over and over again throughout Scripture who were anointed by God. Nebuchadnezzar was anointed by God. Cyrus was anointed by God, but they were not believers in Jehovah God. Anointed for the purpose of what? Advancing God's people. And that's what is, a, is important about us understanding about President Trump. He is anointed by God to the advancement of Christian people in Israel and the left, I'm sorry if you're from the left, but I'm just calling it like it is. You're going to either like me or not. And I really don't care either way. All I care about is whether she likes me. And at last poll, she does. <laughs> um, they want, that's why they want Trump out. They've all these three years, three and a half years, has been for one purpose. Let's get Trump out. Let's get Trump out. This whole thing is to get the anointed of God, the anointed person. I didn't say the anointed holy Christian. Because, I, like I say, I, w I was reading about Nebuchadnezzar, and I thought, well, that's kind of interesting that God placed Nebuchadnezzar in place and said for the glory of Nebuchadnezzar. And I'm, that was God's deal to anoint that guy. Of course, he ended up sending Nebuchadnezzar out to be like an animal, eating grass for seven years until Nebuchadnezzar said, it's you, it's you, it's not me. See, when you tear up your Bible, this is the kind of stories you're able to tell. <laughs> uh, let's see, look what time it is. Okay. Um, stage is being set. People are being conditioned. You, my friends, are being conditioned. You're being conditioned. It was only a few months ago that I stood up here, we were talking about uh, immorality, and I mentioned about the commercials on TV that were propagating the idea of homosexual lifestyle, and I was just blown away at how normal and natural and, forgive me for putting it this way, inviting it all was. And I remember the first two commercials that showed up, and the two guys kissed and they were holding hands on the dock, and I was just like, what? Conditioning. It was conditioning. A little here, a little there, till eventually all of society says those who, do, those who speak against this are hate mongers and bigots. That's not the case, friends. We're not hate mongers and bigots. But we are instructed by God to hate the sin, but we are instructed by God to love the sinner. And we will be a church that will love every sinner regardless of what depth of depravity they may be involved in, but we will help them see through the Word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit to see their depravity so that they can bow before God. Can I get an amen? amen. I know that doesn't make a lot of people happy, and in fact, everything we're saying right now is being recorded. I've understood that every single person that does live stream, every live stream church and YouTube church, everything that they're saying is going, to our, going into archives. What I just said is now in the archives. 
Yeah. Dear heavens. No wonder there's so many puny, sissy preachers. Afraid to say anything. Afraid to say anything. Afraid to tell the truth. It just breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. So I've, I've asked Diane, I told her two or three or four weeks ago, I don't remember how long ago, I said, baby, I want you to, every time you go to the store, I want you to buy something extra, buy a case of canned goods, buy, buy an extra package of toilet paper. I mean, buy whatever it is, buy an extra of some non-perishable item. Because remember what happened last time? Do you remember what happened last time? You couldn't get toilet paper. Okay? Of course, the big joke was diarrhea wasn't a part of COVID. So that was a funky thing. But what's the point? Put people in a position to scramble and run like chickens with their heads cut off. And so we can put our heads in the sand and go, eh. And guess what? You can already go to the store and find items that you could find before not there. So I will encourage you. I'm, I'm doing something I've never done as a pastor is to encourage people to go buy extra non-perishable goods and keep them put away, okay? Now, I know I'm sometimes a pendulum guy. My pendulum can swing. I know none of you are like that because you're so holy and perfect. Hallelujah. But my pendulum was so far the other way at some point that I just thought anybody who did that was just a, an imbalanced prepper who lived in fear. I don't believe that anymore, but in the same token, I'm not digging a bunker in my backyard. <laughs> so I think I'm finding some balance, hallelujah. Although I have thought, man, I wish I had a bunker in my backyard. <laughs> you know, right under the pool. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> so, yeah, I really want to encourage you all. Um, so Diane's come home with a little case of, uh, like, black beans, canned black beans. What would that cost to buy a little case of black beans? Six bucks. So every time she goes to the store, she spends an extra five or ten bucks or something to bring additional items at home, items that were not available the last time things shut down, and items that we would need should stores begin to have trouble. Items that we should need should the man of lawlessness begin to rise up and take over and then take over all commerce. Friends, I said a while ago when I talked with you about the uh, overtaking of commerce, it's going to happen. I didn't say it was going to happen tomorrow. I didn't, I, matter of fact, I think I said, I don't know if it's in my lifetime, my children's lifetime, or my grandkids' lifetime, but I'm going to live my life as though it's going to happen before I expire. And so for wisdom's sake, I'm encouraging you. Many of you have probably already done that. For all I know, I got, I got preppers in the room. I don't know. I don't need to know. In fact, a good prepper, I would never know anyway. <laughs> that being said, you have no idea whether or not I really am or not. <laughs> all right, it's 8 o'clock. We're going to go to 8.30. So economy. Easy to see, right? How about war and bloodshed? Matthew chapter 24, verses 6 through 8. And you will hear, is this one that, okay, yeah, this one has just got the reference up there, so go ahead and turn to Matthew 24. 
and uh, we're going to read verses 6 through 8. Good to see you guys. Love you guys. You all weren't here a while ago, but you know that's Steve and Deanna in the back. He's working late. They did our 714, and we gave you a hand a while ago. Can we do that again right now? I mean, I, I've literally had people come, come to me and say, oh, that other couple did such a great job. <laughs> Amen. We love you too. Matthew 24, verses 6 through 8, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. And all these things are the beginning of sorrows. Beginning of sorrows. Of course, all you pre-tribulation rapture people that are in the room right now, you're thinking, I don't need to worry about any of it because I'm out of here before it all happens anyway. <laughs> well, I hope that's true. I think that's me. Keep touching my hip up here. It's loose. There we go. That fixed. It's tight, but it's loose. Um, think about it. Only 50 years ago, only 50 years ago, I'd have been 14, only 50 years ago, um, small countries around the world were powerless against conglomerate countries like America, Russia, and China. Smaller countries were peons, okay, in the grand scope of things. But today, with the potential of nuclear capabilities, some of the smallest, most third world countries on the planet, with the push of one button, can start a nuclear holocaust that brings about Armageddon. I mean, if we thought the Bay of Pigs was something, some of you are thinking, Bay of Pigs, what's that? JFK, you got to go all the way back to the 60s to know, or, or have been good in history to know anything about what was happening during that time, and all of America thought we're on the verge of a nuclear holocaust right now. Why? Because it seemed that a little country called Cuba, being backed by Russia, might have the capability some 90 miles away from America to fire off a missile. But again, that was based on Russia, China, and America. Today, those same rogue countries got the button. We're living in dangerous times, and sooner or later, one of these countries is going to push the button. It's going to happen. And they're going to push the button primarily because America and or Israel is their enemy. And why is America their enemy? Because America has been God's gift to the planet for the propagation of Christianity, for the propagation of the Word of God. But now today, America is one of the most depraved declining countries on the planet. I'm, I'm, Mr. I'm Mr. Patriot. Okay, I'm not speaking against my country. This breaks my heart. But we are in the end times. We're living in dangerous times. So we can no longer pretend that those things are not going to happen or or 
hope somehow they're just going to go away. You are deeply misguided if you think any of this, anything's going back to normal. Okay, how long did it take for any of us to go, wearing mask is not normal? To now it is. How many of you keep one in your pocket? Go ahead, tell the truth. Or in your vehicle. Right? Knowing that there are certain stores you can, many, most, you won't go into if you don't have a mask on. Guess what? It's now the new normal. As much as we don't like that phrase, it is. We're not saying that it's acceptably right, but it is the new normal in society. I told Diane when we were on vacation, and of course over here in Michigan, everything's mask, 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 mask. And over in Wisconsin, we took the badger across Lake Michigan to Wisconsin. It was like nobody was wearing the mask. We were so confused. Which, what do we do? <laughs> that it, I said to her one day, I said, do you remember, honey, like a year or so ago, you'd see pictures this is no denigration or speaking against the, the nation of China. But you would see pictures about China and some of the, uh, those countries. They all wore masks everywhere that they went. And we thought, oh, that's the, they must be. What's going on over there? And now, hello. There are churches, even in our community, that will not have service. You can't come in the building if you're not wearing a mask. I didn't say it was right. But it is the new normal. Yeah. And it ain't going back. Man, I am, boy, I sure am bringing good news tonight. <laughs> I'll preach about faith and love on Sunday, but on Wednesday night, we're going to talk about this stuff, okay? <sighs> Lord have mercy. Um. So we can't pretend. I think we're moving in a trajectory that leads us directly to the end of time. Then I think my last point is the decline of morality. So I talked about economy. I talked about war and bloodshed. Come on, y'all. Our, our nation is on the verge of civil war. Dear God, please don't let it. Please intervene, Lord. Please, Lord. Please, Lord. Please, Lord. Intervene. Don't let it happen, Jesus. But the decline of morality. Historically, if you are a student of history at all, you will find that the collapse of almost every nation happens when the collapse of morality takes place within that nation over the course of history. That's been the case. Just in America alone, let alone the rest of society, the legalization of same-sex marriage and the acceptance of a homosexual lifestyle is, is not just a, a sinful idea in terms of an alternative lifestyle, but it is an assault right into the face of what God's original creative design was, or still is. He created in the Garden of Eden man and woman, and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cling unto his wife, 
and the two of them shall become one flesh. That's God's creative design. I hope you recognize that this so-called alternative lifestyle that's acceptable by every Hollywood fancy commercial is basically an insult into the face of God's design on planet earth. Okay, that's, I'm sorry, I don't mean to give the devil any credit, but that's wisdom on his part to say, this is how I'll attack things, because even in the Garden of Eden, he took what God had said was true and twisted it. So, it's, a, it's not just an insult into the face of God's original design, it's a complete removal of God's original plan. Friends, that's a collapse of morality. When society strays from God's design, it ultimately invites God's judgment. And don't stick your heads in the sand to think that God isn't going to judge, because God is judging. And He will judge. And for America not to be judged for its collapse and absolute removal from the morality of God's designs would mean that God is not real and we're wasting our time for God to say, oh, that's all cool. Do whatever you want. No, no, that's not how God operates, y'all. Sorry. Um, Sodom and Gomorrah, turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 17. I'm going to finish. I got... You know, when I said we're going to finish at 8.30, that was 10 minutes ago. I know it feels like an hour. It was only 10 minutes ago. It's 8.10. Hang on to your britches. Those of you who don't know what britches are, that's a southern term for slacks. Those of you who don't know what slacks are, you were born after, or you were born after the 80s. That's why you don't know what slacks are. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, Luke. Oh, no wonder it doesn't look right. I'm in John. I think, well, that don't look right. Here we go. Luke chapter 17, verse 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man, where they ate and they drank and they married wives and they were given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them. Right up to the day. That's an important point. Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought and sold, they planted, they built, but on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. You want to know what it's going to look like? Boom. Okay, Sodom and Gomorrah went down with such uh, moral depravity in society that their acts are now called sodomy. So we live in a time where you and I need to wake up, we need to get ready, because if we don't, many people who are calling themselves Christians and who believe they're okay when things get really difficult, when the fire gets really hot, this is going to happen too because the Bible says there will be a great falling away. You can't fall away from something you're not in. So this is talking about people who were believers are going to fall away from what they believe. 
it's going to happen. Too many people can't even stand up for the cause of Christ today. They don't dare stand up for the cause of Christ. They, too many Christians for too long have not even been willing to pick up their cross and follow Jesus. So many Christians haven't even, I mean, even right here, I'm not so naive as to think that somehow Resurrection Life Church is perfect. Hello, y'all. We got Christians even right here who have not yet died to self. Which means you're not living for Christ. And I will not be a preacher that just strokes you and smoothes you and makes sure you feel happy about everything and then one day you wonder, why didn't somebody tell me the truth? And that's not braggadocia, y'all. That's my heart. When things get tough and people are now required to compromise and or lose their ability to buy food, they're going to give up and compromise for the sake of feeding their babies. Hello? Man, hasn't this been fun tonight? This has been so fun. I'm just like, Lord, give me a joke or something to tell this, these folks. They're all looking at me like, oh my God. <laughs> Turn your Bibles with Matthew 24, and then here's your happy moment. Right after that, in my notes, it says close. So you do have a happy moment. So. Matthew chapter 24. I'm going to read verses 10 through 13. Matthew chapter 24. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But the person who endures to the end shall be saved. Now, according to this text, how long are you and I going to be required to endure? I know you don't like that. That's all over the word. All right, I promised you the next thing on my notes was closing, and it is the last page, and it is in 24 font, so there's not really a whole lot on the paper. So we need to know that difficult times will come. But if we know they're coming, maybe we can get ready. That's the deal, isn't it? That's what this has been about since I started this conversation and opened up midweek service, is to get the saints of God prepared for the last days. And the saints of God that I've been charged with responsibility for are you. And therefore, I will do everything in my power to make sure that you are able to walk out your salvation with fear and trembling and to grow up in the salvation that you have and to make your decisions. Things that I bring to you aren't to say, you better believe it exactly like I believe it or you're going to hell. I better say hell because hell's a city up north here in Michigan. No, but it's to say, here's, here's what I believe God has shown me. I'm going to share it with you. You go home and study your word to make sure that that's the same conviction that you have. But at least you'll stand before the Lord not being able to look at me and say, but you never told me that. 
We need to, to recognize, and I want us to be equipped, and we are not left in the dark. And thank you, Jesus, I actually do have good news in my message, and here it is. I forgot. First Thessalonians. Turn your Bibles, because this is the good part, y'all. Hallelujah! I'm already happy, and I ain't even read it yet. First Thessalonians. There we go. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Are you there? Look at this. Starting with verse 4. And now, I don't know about your subtitle over chapter 5, but my subtitle over chapter 5 is called The Day of the Lord. Anybody got anything different? Huh? Final, final destruction? Oh, listen, I want to finish with good news. Can you? <laughs> Final instruction. All right, look at here. This, this is where you, you, need to, you need to hear this, y'all. But you, it says brethren, but I'm going to add sisters. Brothers and sisters are not in darkness. So that this day, capitalized, should not overtake you as a thief in the night. Because you are sons and daughters of the light and sons and daughters of the day. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Here it is. For God did not appoint us to wrath but to obedient to excuse me but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this passage of scripture because it teaches me two things. I'm a child of the day. And this says that for those who are children of the day that the day of the Lord will not catch them as a thief in the night. See, we've heard that whole thief in the night thing and we think that's for everybody. That's not for everybody. Listen, the Bible teaches us that no one knows the day or the hour, okay? But we will know the seasons and the times. And you need to recognize this about the whole day and hour thing. Rosh Hashanah, which is one of the Jewish holidays, which is the festival of trumpets, which is believed in the Judaic faith to be the return or the coming of the Messiah on Rosh Hashanah. The trumpets don't blow until the first sliver of the new moon shows up on the horizon. And it can happen typically, historically, within one or a two-day period when that sliver shows up. And the moment the priest sees that sliver of the new moon, he blows the trumpet. He never knows the day. And he never knows the hour, but he's usually standing ready within two days of knowing it's going to happen. So you need to recognize that we as children of the day should have our eyes open and be able to see what's taking place and recognize we are not called to the wrath of God. Amen? And we're going to be ready when he comes. Somebody give the Lord a praise for that. Hallelujah. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. I was praying there was some good news in here somewhere. <laughs> and I actually had it in there. Praise God. Well, that's always been a blessing to me to know as a child of the day, not living in darkness, his coming will not overtake me by surprise. 
and it shouldn't overtake you by surprise. Let that sink in. Praise the Lord. Uh, I want to close by giving you a blessing. It's a blessing that comes from Numbers chapter 6. You don't need to turn there. But thousands of years ago, God spoke to Moses and spoke to Aaron, and he said, I want you to speak these words over my people, and as you speak these words over my people, I'm going to place my name upon them, and they are going to be blessed. Powerful, right? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 24 through 27. Speak these words over my people, and as you do, I'm going to place my name on them, and they will be blessed. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his face up to you and bring you peace. I pray that you're strengthened in the love and the